0: You're about to join Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing, and learn about the most dependable and consistent, yet often overlooked, investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series.
1: Jerry Parker and I, Niels Kostrup-Larsen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series where each week we give you a a raw and and very honest account of what it's like to be a rules-based investor, what news and articles caught our attention, uh, and of course, where we also attempt to answer all of your questions. Morris is out this week. So Jerry, it's just the the two of us. How are you doing?
2: Doing well. Uh, Good morning. It's early here. It actually might be morning where you are, but uh,
1: very well, it's almost morning where I am. I know we are doing this uh, at a slightly un- unusual time uh, this week, um, but as they say, the early bird catches the worm, so I'm sure uh, that's a good sign. Uh, now, if you are tuning in for the first time, uh, welcome. We love that you are here, and we're going to do our best to inform and perhaps even entertain you about systematic investing during the next hour or so. Now... Um, just from sort of a high-level point of view, uh, Jerry, of course, it's the end of a week, but it's also the end of a month. And since it is hurricane uh, season in the US, we're all watching uh, the big one coming towards you. I think in terms of trend strength and performance in August, I think it's fair to call the month of August a category 4 or 5. Um, it certainly, on our side, catapulted um, you know our strategy Uh, to uh, new all-time highs, our institutional uh, program. Um, But because there is a little bit of math when you run into bigger drawdowns, uh, our uh, original program with the high leverage is is a little bit off uh, the all-time high. But I want to start out by maybe taking a step back. um, And hopefully this is uh, something that people will internalize a little bit um, because it, it really goes to show how this strategy uh, tends to behave. So um, when we were talking back in in November, December last year on on the podcast about, you know, it had been a difficult uh, period of time after the highs in January of 18, um, trend following as a strategy uh, went into uh, a pretty uh, deep drawdown, uh, I would say. Um, When I look at at our uh, data, uh, which goes back to 1984, when the strategy started, we, ha- we kind of classify a severe drawdown in our original program, a drawdown of more than 25%. And for the institutional program, about half that. Um, and uh, so back then, when, when we were looking at the numbers on our side, um, you know, we could see that there had been uh, uh, you know, 10, uh, 11 previous drawdowns of this magnitude. And we could obviously calculate the depth and the average of those and also the average length of these drawdowns. And so at the end of November, which turned out then to be the bottom, we of course didn't know that at the time, uh, we could see that the the drawdown that our industry and and, and us of course as well uh, had suffered during um, 2018 was very close to the average, both drawdown in depth and drawdown in terms of length. and so, of course, uh, this morning when I was looking at the final numbers for the month of August, I noticed that um, that the strategies were back at, at, at new all-time highs, and I was kind of looking at, so what actually was the result, uh, meaning, you know, in terms of the drawdown we ended up having, in terms of the length it took to recover, and what's really interesting uh, to see is that uh, during that analysis back in 2018, we could see the average drawdown was about... Uh, 10 months uh, on uh, on average, 10, 11 months. And um, the drawdown at the end of November was in fact uh, 10 months precisely. But we could also see that the average recovery time was nine months. And so now when I look at the numbers and I can, uh, you know, confirm that we've now uh, recovered, uh, the actual recovery time was nine months. And of course, this is perhaps specific for our strategy this time around. but but it's also something that obviously is, is very uh, evident for the whole industry uh, that we have these um, you know drawdowns of a certain size and length. but actually also the recoveries tend to follow a um, you know, reasonably uh, predictable pattern, even though I will say, even after 30 years of doing this, it's always really hard to, uh, when you sit, uh, you know, back then in, in, you know, during sort of the the darker month of the year in in December, uh, and and really think about what could happen that suddenly changes this difficult environment for trend followers to something that uh, could be conducive to a strong recovery. But you know, that is just how it works, and I think this is why this is one of those strategies that where you really have to. Um, be prepared to buy into the drawdown uh, when when it happens um if we look at august as a month and what helped um trend followers to to do well um of course strong trends in fixed income uh, markets have uh, continued uh, i think the u.s 10-year uh, bond is very close to making a new all-time low in yield uh, i think the 30-year bond actually achieved this during august and, um, of course, we've seen record low yields in many of the developed markets around the globe. Um, but it wasn't really only fixed income that had strong tailwinds in, in August. Uh, Medals were pretty good. Um, silver had the biggest move, but in terms of performance contribution, at least on our side, it was, it was gold. Um, wheat uh, took the winning price, so to speak, uh, in the grain sector, and we also saw... Uh, pretty good performance uh, from cotton uh, on the softs. Um, energy markets were okay uh, for the strategy. Equities, mostly negative for the month, uh, with the exception of Japan, where, uh, at least on our side, we're positioned for lower prices, so that helped out a little bit. And uh, in in the currency sector overall, I would say probably a flat month for us, even though the dollar index uh, managed to make a new closing uh, high, uh, at least since 2017, May, I think, um, uh, at the close of business uh, yesterday. So, I mean, all in all, it's certainly been a year of full of surprises so far, but uh, what probably wasn't that surprising was some of the news we got uh, this week. Um, the incoming European Central Bank president, Christine Lagarde, uh, certainly made her opinion on monetary policy clear, Um, she came to visit the European Parliament, I think, on Thursday, and uh, she said, or she's quoted for saying, I don't believe that the ECB has hit the effective lower bound on policy rates. So uh, it seems like there is um, more to come, uh, and it sure sounds like it could get a little bit uh, worse for for people who who, uh, did what they were told uh, many years ago, you know, save up for your pension, you know, buy bonds... uh, because they're a safe place to put your money, um, so uh, and of course um, the the pension fund system might also start to um, see some troubles with the liabilities they have. So maybe it's time to uh, think about some diversification, perhaps even some trend following in those portfolios. So that was a little bit of my rant, uh, Jerry. Sort of um, what what I had noticed and and um, a little bit of an update on. On affairs on on our side. How how was your uh, how was your August and and what are your thoughts? How was your week? Well, it's you know good period here in August, and then the year in general
2: is going to go down as a good year. So uh, so far with the um, CTA trend following uh, reminded me of an issue we discussed a few weeks ago about how at some point in the future somebody will say, "Well, okay, you did you guys did well in 2019." But it was due to those negative rates. That's not ever going to happen again. So you can't expect that. Now what are you going to do? So it's, I think one of the things that uh, usually happens coming out of these drawdowns is we don't know what's going to happen. We're surprised by it. It's crazy, uh, and this is what the, these type of systems pick up: things that have like never happened before and crazy market moves. Uh, Someone called, one of our friends this week called uh, these negative rates or these low rates vandalism. So I think uh, it's really an unprecedented period. And that's what uh, trend following is good at, the things that have were unprecedented.
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me also about our conversation last week where where we talked about this term, this time is different. And, and I was quoting, uh, you know, Daniel uh, Crosby, who um, I had just you know, interviewed for for the podcast, uh, which will be released uh, soon, and where he was saying, "Well, these these words can be very expensive," and I think you rightly pointed out, which I actually hadn't thought about, that in our world it's always different, and I think that's actually a great point, um, which uh, I think just this year is 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 really. A great example of Um, and uh, next year who knows what it's gonna be Um, the beauty of these portfolios that are so diversified uh, is of course we only really need a few strong performance drivers to you know have a great um, have a great year and and this year it just turned out to be um, you know fixed income so far at least
2: our friend Sam pointed out this week on Twitter that um, he lost money in every single currency I think back in January, February, his worst month ever, probably mine as well. So I think uh, it was January, but and that happens as well. Our diversification goes away; it doesn't help at all. And uh, but you know, just trading uh, this particular style with that uh, takes takes small losses and lets the profits run, and is long and short. Uh, lots of different uh, economic uh, class, you know. Currencies, commodities, stocks, and bonds. It's it shouldn't have drawdowns that are should you know should have drawdowns that are shorter term than uh, stocks only or, or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did actually so, uh, some analysis for uh, for a presentation, and I was going back to '84 when uh, when our program, the current program, started, and I was doing like a rolling. Uh, return analysis uh of different time frames and i think what might be surprising because i think most people think that in the long run equities go up so i did this rolling you know three five ten year uh return analysis and what's interesting about it uh, between the s p 500 total return and the world government bond index and then our own program the only um, investment that does not have a hundred percent positive rolling return windows uh, over 10 years is actually the s p meaning in other words you will have had periods in the last 30 years or so where even over a 10-year period you would have not have made money uh, on being long the s p and i think people sometimes um might forget that but uh, jerry good news on uh, before we jump to your tweets uh, good news because uh, when I checked recently, there was another voicemail uh, for us. This time it was uh, left by Seth, um, and um, we, which we highly appreciate. So let me just play that for you right now.
0: Hey guys, this is Seth in Polly's Island, South Carolina. Just wanted to leave you a quick message and say thanks for all the great content you guys come up with every week as a um, individual uh, trend follower who's only been doing it for a couple of years i've got to say that the weekly show has been a great way to help keep me on track taking the trades when they need to be taken and just keeping going with the system through this kind of recent bout of uh, tough performance we've had but um, i'm sure like you guys it's starting to get back on track and i just appreciate all the good work y'all do And I'm really looking forward to the live event in October. I'm signed up and I I really can't wait to uh, spend the weekend getting to know you guys and getting to know the other attendees and just talking trend following and systematic trading. So that's it. Keep up the good work and um, talk to you later.
1: Seth, thanks so much for your uh, kind words. And uh, we on our side very much look forward to seeing you at our live event in New York in only a few weeks from now. Um, and speaking of the live event, I think we've got a couple of seats left. So if you still wanna join us, um, don't hesitate too long because um, when they're gone, they will be gone. Uh, now, if you do wanna leave us a voicemail, uh, which we hope you will, so we can share them on air, um, you can just go to toptradersunplugcom forward slash voicemail. Now, Back to our usual feature. Uh, hopefully, it was a busy week, uh, a good week also in in the fin Tweet world. Uh, I uh, seem to remember having seen a, a, a decent amount of activity uh, on your Twitter feed, Jerry. So, uh, maybe you can share what uh, what got a lot of attention and, uh, and likes.
2: Uh, <clears throat> activity doesn't always signal uh, quality, Niels, <laughs> but I'll uh, <we'll> leave that, <laughs> that up is to you. You and the listeners, uh, I have fun as usual. I was interested in a couple things this week, uh, different things than usual. Um, Mark Holbert is a famous writer, and he wrote uh, an article basically laying out the case that uh, after taxes and after inflation, U.S. interest rates are above average. This this fundamental uh, valuation thing is so confusing and I'd like to point out that uh, everyone knows rates are too low or they're low. Um, but uh, if you look at it from another point of view, someone else's point of view, uh, rates are actually <clears throat> above average. You, can base, you can't you can base your argument that rates are low uh, by any historical standard. If anything, as we've seen, they're above average. Uh, you know, it's paying attention to price it's so objective and there's, you know, maybe you have your system that's a little shorter term or longer term than someone else's, but I really appreciate just following the price and knowing where I stand from a trend point of view and not having to try to navigate the markets with valuations and fundamentals and uh, like this, because it seems to change a lot.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think it is interesting, right, that that, uh, we probably, most of us perceive rates as being incredibly low at the moment, but then once you dig into things, you might actually end up with a different um, uh, view on it. Um, But it also reminds me a little bit about um, kind of yet another um, set of um, views and opinions coming, uh, you know, regarding our industry, but coming from Nomura, who um, are often getting a lot of press about, uh, because they try to anticipate, uh, the CTA signals. Um, so there were an interview uh, I saw this week. I uh, also saw, I think there was a headline from another guy at Nomura, and and they were talking about you know imminent crashes and 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 things like that. And uh, so of course you know huge amount of information and and potential um, sources for confusion. I think for uh, investors, if you listen to all of that, and um, and of course I know I'm preaching to the choir because most of our listeners, um, you know, do appreciate, um, you know, kind of the rules-based approach, uh, but I, I really do think that it's, um, you know, it's such a great relief, really, um, that you don't have to pay attention to to all of that, and and, and and even if you tried, I think it must be incredibly difficult to make any sense of it, let alone, um, you know, trade uh, based on these uh, decisions, so uh, or, or news flow so I agree with you you know back to just looking at at at, at the one thing uh so to speak um but yeah uh, another article i came
2: across was one that sort of talked about some research paper and it talked about um, using trend following but using different parameters different look back periods for entries and exits and the, uh, the point I picked up on this article was the statement that uh, the performance dispersion across momentum strategy implementation tended to be larger than the dispersion between value and momentum. So just by trading a medium uh, t- to long-term system with maybe uh, three or four or five different systems with different entries and different exits, that product gave uh, you a lot of diversification in those systems. Uh, sometimes more than value uh, than adding a totally different uh, style or strategy. Even in our systems that all tend to be fairly long term, it is possible for us to have uh, one system long and one system short. I know we have some of those now. Uh, And so I think that uh, if you spread it out even more, maybe medium term to long term, whatever that means to everyone out there, you would uh, pick up a lot of diversification. And when you're, as I've said before, when you're making money in uh, trades that are outlier trades that all of your profits uh, for the year are gonna be probably based upon these mega moves like the bond market uh, is a good example, then it's critical when you go to exit those trades that you have some diversification. So you know, if you get lucky and get out, your shorter term system gets out, uh, and that's the near the high, then that's great, Or, but you could get very unlucky and that uh, would be not the best exit. So, uh, for years, that's my ad- idea has been to have multiple entry and exit. Uh, pretty good place to buy. Pretty good place to sell. But 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 more than what, and I think that helps with diversifying the the uh, the returns. You know,
1: for the year. Um, big fan of that. Yeah, I mean, we also on our side have not only multiple entries and exits, so to speak, or, or sub uh, models, we we also to run two different types of trend following inside our program. And it's interesting to follow those two where you're clearly trading the same markets, but doing it in two different ways uh, as a trend follower. Uh, and to see the dispersion between those two. Um, this year, not so much, but sometimes definitely and over the long run, um, you know, maybe the last five years, I've definitely seen some difference between the two approaches. But I was wondering, Jerry, when you think about dispersion in returns, do you think that, and and maybe between different styles of trend following, um, and then you think about different managers, do you think that if you were on the investor side and you had to choose, do you think it's more important to choose people who have different styles of trend following or trade different markets. Where do you think most of the dispersion or diversification benefit comes from? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think you know. I, th- I think you should
2: choose people who do both. Let's say so trade lots of different markets. I think that's a good idea. Uh, certainly, all the different uh, uh, categories. You know, like currencies, and grains, and metals, and base metals, and energy. Uh, so I think uh, you don't want to leave any of those out. I think that, uh, as I've said before, sometimes we can get in trouble by trading every single grain and every single currency without regard to their correlation and sort of having on basically you're diversified, but you're sort of waiting, overweighting the bets in some of those sectors. Uh, so you don't really want to do that. Uh, so I'm a big fan of these markets. I mean, when we sit back and we watch the money being made, and we're basically sitting on our hands, not doing anything, we're very thankful that we're trading you know, the bonds or some of these uh, big trends, the dollar, you know, the currencies that were short or long versus the dollar. So uh, I have a, a, an amazing respect for these markets that uh, are really gonna make or break us. <clears throat> and we have to keep convincing people that they're fine and they're great, and the, and the stocks are not inherently better trenders or superior in any way. And then when it actually starts to happen, I've you know, I'm really happy about that.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Now, while you um, find uh, maybe the next tweet that you uh, thought was interesting this year, it just dawned on me that next week is, I think, episode 52. That means we've done this for a whole year, every single week. So maybe that's a an encouragement, perhaps, to our listeners, that if they do want to send us a special message on our one-year anniversary through the new voicemail facility, um, that's could be, that could be a great theme to hear um, your feedback, perhaps, as to uh, how you found the first year of the uh, Systematic Investor Series. So just as a quick reminder, uh, you can just go to toptradersunplugcom forward slash voicemail um to do that. We we would certainly love that um to hear more more of your voices since you are probably tired of hearing our voices every week. Hopefully not. We'll see. Um Jerry, what else um did you come across uh of interesting articles, quotes?
2: Uh, I like this one from a <clears throat> article about a Swedish pension fund. Mm-hmm. Uh AP one, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, AP1. Nice guys. I liked what they were saying. Uh, The quote I picked up was, the most important part of investment follow-up is to check if the historically observed ex-ante properties and expectations are met. It is this rather than performance that tests a strategy's success. An analysis of last year's poorly performing trend strategies illustrates The trend allocation did badly, as the whole CTA industry did, but that was entirely in line with our expectation. It was actually what we wanted. Wow. I would love to have those guys as clients. I've had clients like that who kind of got it and understood it and saw, even if it's not crisis alpha, uh, it is a a, a great functioning part of the portfolio that is going to add some diversification. Exactly the time you want it when your stocks are getting crushed? Probably not, but uh, certainly CTA trend following with all the markets is, uh, doesn't always work, but it, uh, uh, there has been times in uh, 2013 where uh, we did well and the stock market did well. and so that was the only trend, the best trend going. and we captured it and we did very well that year. So that's fine too. But uh, you know last year was tough and uh, this year's much better
1: yeah uh, there's another quote from that article actually where they went on to say when we look at our performance it's not really in the context of good or bad instead we ask if that performance was in line with our expectations and decisions think of it as ordering an espresso and making sure you get an espresso so yeah i think they make some good points what i'm not so uh, big a fan of is that they decided a few years ago a couple of years ago to take their CTA allocations and do it in-house. So now they, um, you know, well, the good thing is they're still doing uh, quant strategies. um, But I've just seen, I've seen examples of this where people think what we do can just easily be replicated in-house. But I've also seen a lot of examples that the results that people get uh, is not nearly as good as Um, you know, allocating to people who've been doing it for, you know, three or four decades. So that's my concern, um, that people might think, oh, but if we hire a team of 10, that's going to be cheaper than paying, you know, X percentage management fee and performance fee to these managers. But, you know, it also comes down to, at the end of the day, what performance do you get in return? And, um, yeah, as I said, certainly seen examples of that not uh, panning out so well. But I like the article as well, by the way, Jerry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Uh,
2: the next one I liked was about Warren Buffett and how he stuck with his strategy over all these years, even when he underperformed by 6% uh, over a five-year period. And then the following eight-year period, he over uh, he beat the S&P by 10%. I thought that was really good. Uh, Buffett's great returns have been earned by having conviction in investment principles and having the discipline to stay the course. The great tragedy is that while so many investors idolize him, they fail to take his advice and invest just like him. So uh, I ran out of space, but I wanted to say so. uh, Same with us trend followers. You know, people may like it. They may talk about it. They they say they like it. They want to invest in it. But, uh, you know, they need to have the temperament and the discipline uh, to keep the money you know, with us, uh, because you know they they play a huge role in whether it's going to, whether their investment with us is going to be successful.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and and coming back to to sort of the earlier point I made today about uh, you know these drawdown analysis, I mean, uh, it, it it can be really hard to sit through uh, drawdowns, um, and uh, and it it reminds me of this story we've talked about in the past about. When Fidelity did some analysis on, on which of their clients um, were generating the best returns, and it turned out to be people who had forgotten that they even had an account with Fidelity. So so they were really doing nothing and just uh, leaving the money there to do the work. And, uh, and uh, of course, I, I don't know if it's different if you had a long-only strategy where you really could, uh, you know, become scared if it's down 50%. But of course, we as humans, we tend to... Um, we tend to make judgments based on possibilities rather than probabilities, meaning if it's down 50%, it's possible that it's going to drop another 50%. Of course, sure, like when you go on a plane, I mean, it's possible that that plane is going to have a crash, but it's not really probable. And of course, we think as managers much more in probabilities and we look at all these statistics that we have for previous periods and and how we fared and what to expect and, of course, Every time is a little bit different, the drivers, the levels, the length, et cetera, et cetera. but there are some patterns uh, there to be had. Um, but of course the most important part is is, is just having this super long um, you know investment horizon and and not get too worked up if if you have a great period or or a bad period, so to speak. It seems
2: everything that we do uh, is just built up around uh, capital preservation. money management, uh, the small losses, the diversification, the shorts, paying attention to price only. Um, When I first got started trading, I was told, like, make a lot of small decisions. You want these decisions to be very small. So trade small. um, Don't put yourself in a situation where you have to cross your fingers and say, please, God, let me out of this, and I promise not to ever do this again. And I think that you want to make... Uh, your strategy uh, like that. Uh, so you don't put yourself in a situation where you're facing these crazy drawdowns or crazy risk. And uh, at the right, you know, at just at that time, you would have a tendency to give up at the bottom of your drawdown or your bad period. And uh, you don't want to put yourself in that situation. So I think even if the passive long-only stocks continues to work like it has in the past, uh, that's too, That's not good enough. That's bad. It's, it's, people are frequently in situations where they, uh, they're going to be tempted to stop following it, which I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, especially if they stop and they start doing more of a trend and more of di- a, di- a diversified approach. But certainly it's not going to be successful if, it, if it's even possible to be successful if you put yourself in a situation where you're continuously testing yourself can I do it? Can I do it? Can I continue to do it? And your brain is telling you these fifty percent drawdowns are not
1: healthy. They're not
2: something I should should put up with. And I agree with that.
1: Yeah, it reminds me actually. This week i uh, i got uh, I got an email from a uh, a great listener of ours uh, called Alfred, um, and I'm sure he'll be listening today. So hello to you, Alfred. Uh, he was very kind. He sent me a write up. Uh, of something that he had done uh, that kind of anal- uh, analyzes um you know the impact of uh, of bet sizing or, or position sizing and and, uh, and and you know how much it changes when you go from you know 50 basis points uh you know to 100 150 200 et cetera, et cetera. because of the randomness in terms of winning trades and losing trades we don't know exactly in which order they will occur there's a huge difference in terms of um how you're Account size will evolve um, because if you bet too much and you're unlucky with a, a, a losing streak, I mean, it has a devastating impact on on uh, on your account size. Um, I don't remember all the details of it, but uh, but it was a really interesting um, uh, write-up, uh, and and it kind of goes back to what you've often uh, said as well, and and that is, you know, we we take small we take small positions we. Uh, you know, we want to make sure we're there um, to fight another day um, so very valuable uh, lesson indeed um, what else did you um, come across uh, so to speak jerry we've got a few questions not that many but we've got a few we can certainly do a tweet or two more if if you're up for it
2: yeah, let's do one more from my one of my favorite writers andy kessler he I wrote in the Wall Street Journal last day or two about uh, the markets and how to think about the market in general. And I like this quote. Of course, it suits me, so I like it. Uh, the market is investors' collective intelligence. It isn't always right, but it definitely broadcasts meaningful sentiments. It's sharper than any poll or committee, let alone one person making decisions. So that's what we've built our careers on, that the market is Uh, the best idea. It's the wisdom of the crowds. Uh, Now, since we have about 60% of our trades are losing trades, it's not accurate, not a good predictor all the time, at least uh, when you throw in the fact that you can try to keep the losses under control. You have to sometimes get out and get right back in. But uh, uh, I'm often reminded I'd much rather follow the price uh, than Anything else?
1: Yeah, and and that reminds me. Actually, um, uh, I was uh, I was interviewed myself uh, yesterday uh, for a, a podcast episode coming up on uh, on Macro Voices uh, on Friday, I think it is. And uh, and and I was asked about you know this uh, group Nomura about how they put so much emphasis on research that tries to anticipate the signals of trend followers To make it sound like this is really important, you know, if the S&P hits 2950, you're going to see massive selling from CTAs, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, my my answer to that, um, not that I should, uh, uh, you know, maybe talk about it too much before the episode comes out, but my my thought process at least is that why would you put too much emphasis on anticipating a CTA signal if you knew that 60% of the time it's going to be wrong? so it just makes no sense to me that it gets so much press because what people forget in this context is that the reason why trend following works is because we do this in so many markets at the same time, long and short and all of that so that's the secret sauce and um, and so again when I see things like that and, and it's not to sound critical of other people's work or analysis they have their, you know, they do, you know What they see think is best but 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 it does um it does annoy me a little bit that it gets so much press that they think that wow this is the holy grail we can anticipate what these managers are doing so we should just follow those those signals yeah but you're doing it in one or two markets i mean you're missing the whole point and you will end up getting a bad you know this is why i think a lot of times trend followers get a bad rap because people read a book or they listen to something and they think, yeah, I can do that. I can, I can read up on this and I'll just do it in, in three different stocks and I'll be, I'll be fine. No, you won't. Oh, you may, but it will be more luck than anything else. So, um, just my little thought after hearing that, uh, point. I
2: also saw an article I was interested in this week about, uh, Milburn, which is a longtime CTA, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, focusing a lot of resources on artificial intelligence. And, uh, thought that was pretty interesting. I'm not gonna discourage anybody from taking their billions and de-emphasizing trend following. I think that's fine with me. Uh, when I first got into trading, I would hear about uh, new managers and the latest and greatest manager that people were allocating to. And the only question I was interested in is, are they, CT- are they trend following? And most of the time, no, they're not. So happy, so relieved. So go for it on the AI. I joke around about AI that um, I'm sure AI would be just fine, especially if if your last decision was uh, if AI is sort of signaling a buy, then I think the last decision should be, okay, it has to be a a 50-day high. So if you throw in a little bit of trend following, I'm sure AI would be vastly improved. That's what AI is going to come back and tell everyone is uh, just throw a little bit of trend following in there and, you know, fastly improve uh, their decision-making, but it uh, should be interesting next few years as, as this uh, more and more happens with this sort of technology. Yeah,
1: no, I completely agree. Now, the first question we have uh, is from um, Adrian. Adrian, I believe, will, uh, well, I know, actually, he will also join us in New York uh, in a few weeks, so we look forward to that, spending a couple of days helping a small group of people um, get some breakthroughs in their uh, in their trading uh, or business. Um, Adrian asks one question maybe you can ask the panel on an upcoming a- episode. The panel is you and me today, Jerry. What is your rule of thumb for liquidity of any of the instruments you all trade? Futures, stocks, ETFs? Options, etc. So let me throw it to you first, Jerry. Do you have specific rules, criteria for um, liquidity in the markets you have in your portfolio? We have rules. You know, all of the markets we trade are,
2: are liquid, uh, and they they're um, they're not too small for our size. That's so we haven't really faced that issue uh, very much. Uh, I think a, a good way of looking at it would be, uh, you know, how many do you usually have to buy or sell, and what is on the bid and the offer, quantity-wise, and then how wide is the bid and offer in terms of the average true range, something like that. So, you know, it gets back to your trade stats, and if your average uh, trade is two or three ATRs, then you have to build in your slippage and... uh, you know, slippage is going to be somewhat indicative of the bid and offer spread. So, I mean, it sounds a little technical, but I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, you know, how hard is it going to be to get the trade off? And then how much is, is it going to cost you every single time to trade?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, on our side, uh, it, it's the same thing. We, we do quantify it, though. Um, so we do have rules in terms of um, you know, how much of the daily volume um, our positions can be. So these are very hard and fast rules uh, that we have. Um, again, with our size, we we don't really get to those uh, levels yet. Um, but I think it is important that, as Jerry said, you need to be certain that if you need to get out uh, of the market, that it's not going to be difficult in any way, uh, shape or form um, now, but I think nowadays if you trade a diversified portfolio, you should be able to get to you know three or four billion dollars under the management uh, if you have multiple time frames and et cetera, et cetera before you run into real liquidity issues. Um, but one thing that concerns me a little bit perhaps is that my sense at least is that the 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 very large managers, in order to get more capacity, have started to go off exchange again, and I'm not necessarily uh, sure that that is a good thing. I mean, I think our industry uh, is really known for being super liquid, uh, for good and for bad. Obviously, we're going to be used as an ATM from time to time when people need liquidity, but I think that's that's the role we play, and I think we should continue to do that. So, if you If you start deviating from exchange, liquid exchange-traded products uh, just to get more capacity, you kind of introduces um, some other risks that at least investors should be aware of, I guess. Um, Do
2: you remember like uh, last year or two that uh, there's been some large CTAs that sort of started new programs of maybe less liquid or uh, over-the-counter markets I didn't really, uh, I like that, I mean, I like adding these new markets, and I have a list of markets that I want to add if liquidity gets better. Um, But I think their point was, these markets that that we've been trading, or that we currently trade in another program, or the liquid ones, uh, they are overfished, there's too many people there, and so the trends are not going to be good, our strategy is not going to work very well. So let's go find the markets where there is no, there's no one there, and uh, not or not as many trend followers. And I didn't like that idea as much as just purely finding markets that add diversification, and different types of uh, stocks or commodities, in particular that are vastly different. Uh, so I'm fully really sympathetic to that idea, but I don't think I agree that uh, let's go off exchange or let's go trade something that's not that liquid because it should trend better you know we've seen a lot of nice trending markets here recently and they're very liquid
1: yeah and no, i think that is a good point um i think again um it's all about finding an edge uh i guess and also especially when you're building your firm you have to be a little bit different from uh you know the next guy who've been around for 15 20 years because otherwise you won't get uh you know a seat at the uh, investment committee table so to speak And so I've I've interviewed a couple of managers uh, that do uh, focus on, um, you know, exotic markets and have done so with success for sure. Uh, And um, I can see a case for it if you, um, and that that there could be, um, because there are are smaller markets, um, that there could be some really big trends, I mean, of course. So again, if you can find ways around uh, your risk management and making sure you have liquidity, which could be an edge in itself, um, I think it's okay for people to do that. But I completely agree with you. I, I don't see a problem in trading super liquid markets from, from a trend-following perspective, meaning I'm, I, I'm, I don't subscribe to this um, fear of, of markets being overcrowded or... Uh, the trend following doesn't work on super liquid markets. I mean bonds are probably as liquid as they can get and that's where we've been fishing this year. Um, and um, so but I think it's okay to try and be different. I think that's okay actually to to do so as long as investors are are, are, are aware that it it involves different kinds of risks um, So um, but of course we also know from from AHL, I mean their evolution program. Has been known for for trading markets that are not um, maybe the the usual suspects, and and they've done that with success. Uh, so um, and yeah, that's fine. All right, let's move on to another question. This time from uh, Nuno, um, and that's an interesting question, actually. He says, "Let me ask you this: If someone were to come to you and present." you a systematic strategy what sort of questions would you be looking to see answered what sort of details would you be looking for now jerry you i'm sure in your long career have probably (laughs) met a few trend followers, and maybe even considered investing with them i don't know um one of some of the things that interest you when you when you look at other people doing what we do?
2: I feel like my answer is so boring on this and uh I'm so closed minded in this area. I would say a holding period. I've never been a fan of really short term trading, so I'd like to see weeks and months and years possibly. I prefer months and months of holding. Uh but uh you anyway, know average win, average loss <clears throat> um of the trade, uh the win percentage, uh, I think these the building blocks of Good performance. I think the historical backtest of the fluctuations of the equity curve can be uh, misleading, either good or bad, uh, more so than those basics. Uh, and you know, uh, what is your, what are you getting at? What do you think you're getting at here? What's uh, tell me what you're thinking and what the market has told you or is telling you that works. And philosophically, what are you trying to do here? Um, You know, it's easy to say capture long-term trends and uh, minimize the volatility through trading lots of different markets and longs and shorts. But other people are doing other things, and they should be able to do the same thing. Put it into a couple of short sentences, so I get a real good feel for what's going on and what they think they've uncovered. Um, And of course, my usual sample size. You know, how did you count your sample? How did you count the trades? How many? Etc. So I think it's not a very uh, interesting answer, but uh, I have allocated a lot to other CTA's, and I never probably asked them very many questions. I would just usually invest with people who had long track records, maybe uh, different strategies uh, than mine, different holding periods. But uh, so I, <clears throat> I, uh, I think it's much better, and I don't like uh, listening to these answers and having my decision uh, in about how much to invest influenced a great deal. I prefer just to say uh, the track record looks good, I understand what they're doing, and I'm going to allocate a small percentage to eat to a lot of different managers versus, oh, this one really excites me and I got to feel like I understand it better and more and they're, they've had a great performance all over allocate so I think I'm, a, I'm not in favor of over allocation uh,
1: small the same for everybody small amount yeah I mean all good points of course um, I would say that I also find it interesting to if it's at all possible to dig a little bit deeper when it comes to how the strategy has evolved meaning um, it you know, certainly if they've been around for a while you would think that they've made changes along the way and also that they have uh, um done research which may not have actually um uh, been implemented so I think it's important to understand a little bit about the journey that they have done from a re- or you know gone through from a research point of view you know why did you come to that conclusion why did you you know think it's better than what you did before etc cetera, etc cetera. um and interestingly enough there was an article this week that someone shared with me. Um, I think maybe it was an institutional investor or something like that, where they talked about what really, you know, how do hedge funds, um, you know, who are the best people in terms of raising assets? And it turned out that they said, people who are very clear in their communication. if you can so if you can be really, really clear about what you do, why you do it, why it works, uh instead of coming up with all kinds of elaborate complicated you know explanations but just keep it very simple but clear that in their analysis uh have tended to be um you know what works best uh in terms of winning the um trust of 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 investors um I have a
2: funny story uh, you know reading the monthly newsletter that can help. Uh, I remember back in the early 2000s, I feel like uh, our trading got off track a little bit and we had too many things going on, things that I don't agree with now and I never really agreed with, but research was just uh, ramping up a lot of uh, ideas and trying to minimize the drawdowns, uh, and I think in a non-robust way. And I'll bet after the first four or five months of trading these new signals, uh, we saw performance that would that uh, we had never seen in the back test. So you know this performance was not good and, uh, it, it, and nothing and this is sort of probably the definition of over optimization. Uh, the back test looks great and then when you implement it, you have months that don't look anything like the back test, obviously worse. And so we came to this conclusion to stop. we need to stop. Let's get back to what uh, got us where we were robust, trend following, and, you know, part of that is just accepting you're going to have these drawdowns, and uh, so I got, I read a monthly letter from another CTA about the same time, and he basically said the same thing, uh, that uh, they had made all these changes the prior year, and they realized that if they had not made those changes and traded the old methods, they would have made money, would have been a great year Everything was fantastic. Everything would have been fantastic, and uh, but his conclusion was the exact opposite of mine. Uh, double down. We're going to double down on this research. We're going to find, make it better. We'll just keep going down this path. And I thought, oh wow, it's interesting that I felt guilty and wanted to turn around and get back to what I thought was the basics. And uh, but I do think that uh, they went another direction. And I'm not saying they weren't successful. I don't really remember. <clears throat> but if you know things like that just simply reading the monthly commentary you know what are they saying about losing periods
1: yeah by the way someone told me i think last year when the industry was going through a tough time that there was a correlation the worse the performance the longer the monthly newsletter so uh <laughs> so yeah um I also think, I mean, just staying a little bit on, on, um, on, on uh, I think, Adrian's uh, question, uh, or maybe it was Nuno, I mean, trying to really understand how they do their research and um, especially how they test things, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, we certainly get a lot of questions about that, people who really wanted to make sure that, you know, we fall, don't fall prey to some Basic mistakes when it comes to to that, and also think the because when it comes to how you do these things, I've always found it fascinating that firms with just a few people in research really can compete with firms that have you know fifty or hundred PhDs on staff, um, even though that can be sometimes a little bit counterintuitive for people to to uh, you know buy into. Why should we as a firm will you know, I think we have three or four PhDs on our staff. How? Why should we be able to compete and maybe even outperform people with fifty people uh, PhDs? So, I mean, I think th- that's you know another thing to to that helps if you really try to understand. You know what the research, so to speak, what what is the process? And also, I think the the other thing, just generally speaking, now that I'm thinking about it. Sometimes I think it's also important to understand what are the backgrounds of these people because I don't necessarily believe that it's a good thing to just hire people from the same universities that have been given the same books, They're you know they come with the same kind of um, basic grounding. Um, why not find people that comes with a little bit of a different um, background uh, that can look at maybe some of the research that has been done in the past but with a different set of eyes Um, I certainly think on our side, uh, some of the people on, on our research team that, that have come up with great, great additions, uh, to, to the strategy, they didn't come from a CTA, um, shop. They actually came from a, from a different kind of strategy shop, but marrying trend following with what they had learned, uh, in their prior lives, has really paid off. So, uh, yeah. Thanks so much, Nuno, for your question. Uh, last question for today from one of our favorite listeners, Sam, of course, who left the first voicemail last week on our uh, on our uh, little um, new facility or recording facility. So Sam goes uh, on to say, In the past, you uh, all have fielded questions related to max loss if all positions reversed. I don't think it's unreasonable to visualize a common situation where this number is close to 100% or even more. Jerry has referenced letting all positions reverse hundreds of basis points from equity. This could very easily amount to 100% loss. But let's focus on a more realistic outcome. What maximum loss to risk are you willing to accept when it relates to one driver in, qu- in quotation, how do you measure singular event risk and manage them? Let's say the Swiss franc move of early 2015 affected the dollar or the Swiss. This would affect a lot of uh, positions. It's not unreasonable to say an extreme move in currencies could move the portfolio 10 to 25% to the downside using Jerry's mantra that he will let positions retrace hundreds of basis points. I'm, I'm quoting Sam here. I'm not necessarily saying this is what, what Jerry said. Um, if this move were dollar-related rather than Swiss-related, how would you manage it? What What's the max loss of equity you're willing to accept due to one return driver completely reversing um, on you and hitting your stop loss? Swiss uh, franc breaking uh, is a premier example. Uh, it was a 23.80 ATR move. This can't be ignored. Okay, so that is the question raised by Sam. Um, let's hear what uh, what your thoughts are, Jerry.
2: Yeah, 23 ATR move in one day or one night or instantaneously, it was... Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that was unfortunate, um, but it was one move, it was one uh, market, and it was not uh, spread out through all of the currencies. But, uh, and then he said, how much am I willing to accept? You know, in that particular situation, there was, I had no choice, it just happens. And so, uh, th- if it's a gradual, you know, hundreds of basis points for profitable trades, you know, these are very profitable trades and we're giving back profits. And it happens over months or weeks <clears throat> versus overnight. Uh, I don't have much choice if it's overnight or very quickly sometimes, but I do think he brings up a good point. and. And that is, uh, and I quoted uh, him earlier by saying that he tweeted something about every currency going against him in January or or February and his worst month ever. And I think that is the point right there. This decision uh, needs to be made beforehand of how much risk am I willing to take in the currency sector or the grain sector or stocks or metals uh, or bonds. And so... I think this is a uh, this is uh, the type of decision and when it needs to be made, not uh, when you're in the midst of it. Uh, you know, I'm on record as saying uh, this the systematic approach. This you should not treat it like religion. That it's I'm going to follow it all the time. It's going uh, it, to it. It sometimes it breaks and you do have these givebacks, whether they're profitable trades or not, and you have to try to limit that giveback in a money ma- and have a money management overlay. I'm not in favor of a money management overlay that kicks in daily or fall targeting, but I am in favor of acknowledging that uh, the drawdowns can be too large, and you have to step in uh, sort in sort of a when there's system failure. Let's say,
1: yeah. I mean, I certainly have a few thoughts uh, on on the topic, and and thanks very much, Sam, for your for your question. Um, I mean, there are obviously different. Uh, ways to do uh, risk management and trying to avoid, um, you know, a, 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 an extreme situation, uh, as you described, Sam. And I think the first one really is just portfolio construction. Uh, and as Jerry said, you know, making sure you have uh, enough diversification in the portfolio. Um, I don't believe that you can get hit. In, in all of your uh, positions or stopped out in all of your positions if you are really truly trading a diversified portfolio. Um, but the way we look at things on our side is we we look at the portfolio level in in a slightly different way maybe because we, we look at it from a value at risk point of view. That's how uh, Bill Dunn started back in the 70s and that's still how we uh, manage risk. Um, and so... You know, risk is not something you can, um, it's always going to be an estimate, right? It's always, we're always estimating what the risk is. We don't know exactly what the risk will be. And so when we look at our daily value at risk, you know, budget or expected value at risk, we we will, of course, uh, on over, say, a period of a year, there will be days where you, Um, you know, penetrate these risk bands, either to the downside or the upside. So, you you know, having these slight, you know, outliers uh, is is definitely possible and and you need to do that. Uh, um, You need to have those, I think, in order to be sure that your risk management um, uh, method is correct. Because if you had no outliers, if you're always within... Your expected risks. I think that's probably more worrisome um, because then maybe your the way you do the estimation is, is not uh, you know correct. Um, and um, so, I mean, in in the case of the Swiss franc uh, back in 2015, I think we lost like one percent on the Swissy that day. Um, so not a not a not a big thing. And I think that comes down to again um, massive diversification, not relying on any one market. Um, uh, and, and so on and so forth. but of course we've also seen that in in uh, in February of 2018 where there was uh, a, you know a, f- a few days in a row where clearly you you were suffering four five percent losses um, three or four days in a row. so so these things do occur and you need to to uh, you know, build it um, in in a robust manner so we don't think about so much you know how much risk are you willing to to lose in any one trade because we're not looking at it on a trade by trade basis we're not we don't use stops on our side so so uh, so it's a different way of doing it but it's um, you know from a statistical point of view we know what uh, to expect and then on top of all of this we run uh, stress tests. Uh, on an ongoing basis. So we want to see how the current portfolio would behave through different historical, really stressful periods like the 87 crash, like um, I think we had uh, the long-term. I think we also look at a period where long-term capital blew up. I mean, there are a number of really stressful times in in the market. So you want to make sure... Um, you know how 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 that would impact your portfolio as well so there are many ways of doing it but as i said it's it's not a f- you know it's not an exact science i mean we are estimating you know how the portfolio will react and and what risks we are taking um because uh we're dealing with markets that move uh you know uh, every second so you can't be 100% sure uh what um, you know how it will pan out um does that make sense, Jerry?
2: Yeah, I, you know, just overall maximum risk, you know, in your portfolio that you're willing to take, uh, you know, I think that is, uh, it's kind of ironic that we, with futures markets and with sizing based upon ATR, for instance, we can put together a portfolio that um, seems um, almost all the time to be, you know, more diversified and safer, and yet, you uh, we are using leverage, and we are using. Uh, we can't see the volatilities get much higher than they were just a few weeks ago, and so we are prone to, or we can have situations where our risk can get out of control. Uh, so we need to be ready, but it's it's most of it should be planning ahead of time, that uh, your your max risk uh, overall and your max risk per market and per sector is sort of normal and low and uh, positions are different and diversified um, and then get ready to cut back even further.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I like about uh, your question, Sam, is the fact that you focus on on the risk management side um, because that's really where we start. I mean, I think a lot of people believe that you know, trend following is about how much money can I make, but actually I think that um, people will be surprised that we spend most of our time because that's the only thing we have some control over is really the risk management. We don't know how much we, you know, the strategy will give us, um, but we certainly uh, have uh, some ways of of, of controlling uh, risk. And so I like the fact that you focus on this um, for sure. I think that's the right place to... Uh, you know the profits will take care of themselves, I think, but but you need to you need to be there to play every day. So you need to to have good and sound risk management. And you and 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 I, you know, just for rereading your question, you know, how much are you willing to accept? You to one return driver again? Even defining one return driver can be very difficult because I'm, sometimes a move in the Swiss franc will have an impact on other things. Sometimes it won't. <laughs> So I think just massive diversification is super important to avoid uh, having to rely on on guesstimates like that. Um, you look like you wanted to add something, Jerry.
2: Oh, well, uh, no. But uh, <laughs> I was thinking that uh, I was on a radio show this week and they were asking me about uh, stocks, and putting together a portfolio of stocks, and I said something kind of crazy, which is... Uh, you know I'm not necessarily focused on trying to find the best stocks you know to own because um, I don't think I can predict that and I don't think it, it is sort of predictable and I'm what I'm much more interested in uh, trying to find real diversification in the stock sector which hopefully gives me some longs and shorts so that is another way to know you know do I have good diversification am I how many, you know, this driver question is? I'm a little. I never understand exactly what other people mean by that. But, uh, but uh, you know, if you if you look at your sectors and you're short everything in the sector or long everything in the sector, I mean, yeah, you probably don't have a lot of diversification there. I'm I'm, I'm afraid. So uh, sometimes that happens though. And uh, but these are tough questions, and I think uh, a lot of it uh, here. These same questions coming from smaller traders who have to make tough choices. They have to; uh, they don't have a lot of capital under management, so they have to choose the markets to trade, and they're going to trade them fairly large, uh, effectively because they're they don't have a lot of capital. So,
1: no, absolutely, and I think that's something we 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 definitely come across, and 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 some of the uh, the emails that uh, we've had from. From listeners as well is, is is that challenge, and we know it's a challenge. I mean, we may give you answers that are, are impossible for you to implement in your in your own trading right now, um, given account size. I mean, we we understand that challenge. Um, um, nevertheless, we're just trying to give our view on on what's the best way forward. But it may be something that will come later in if if you're trying to do your own uh, style of trend following, but. Which always leads me back to this point about that you know sometimes it's it's better to uh, maybe consider allocating to people who have the ability to give you that diversification until you're ready or big enough to to do it yourself um, because it is a, a key part of the or um, ingredient in 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 the secret source of of, of why trend following works I think. Those were the uh, questions. Um, now, normally, I would do a little roundup of performance numbers. Funnily enough, when I was looking at the uh, data today, um, our friends over at SOCGen have not updated any of their indices uh, this week, so I don't have much really to uh, to go on here. Um, but the B Top Fifty Index, which is uh, the top twenty. Managers open to new investment, so you know a lot of the big, a lot of the big guys. Um, as of Thursday, so not counting yesterday, which I think was probably a positive day for the industry. I would imagine that it did finish August uh, around uh, three point twenty three percent for the month, or so maybe a little bit higher at the end of Friday, and it's up about twelve point zero four percent for the year. So clearly having also a great year uh, so far. And then we have the Bridge Alternative Index, uh, which is flat fee funds. Um, that is, again, as of Thursday, up 6.31% for the month of August, up 16.04% for uh, for the year. So again, having a, um, a very good year uh, on that front. Um, anything else uh, on your side, Uh, Jerry, obviously excited to be back next week with our one-year anniversary episode. Um, Not sure if we've got anything particularly special planned. Maybe we can think of something. Uh, Maybe our followers will um, just give us so many voicemails the next coming week that we can just play them all, you know, not do anything else next week, who knows. Um, Or maybe they'll come up with some good ideas for us um what about you any um any last final thoughts um today
2: well i didn't weigh in too much on the markets but uh, there were some nice moves uh yesterday and uh platinum uh following gold and silver belatedly nickel palladium uh nickel and palladium had a big day yesterday so it looks like some things are happening and new trades uh you know, Wayne uh, tweeted something this week that I uh, didn't mention, but it was something like, uh, you know, treat these new treat your exits uh, as, you know, possibly uh, great new entries. And so I think sometimes I get so focused on taking a loss or getting out of a trade that was a pretty good trade and, you know, you're kind of bummed by it because you lost money or it's... Get a drawdown in a particular trade but sometimes it's just an opening of a new opportunity to go in the opposite direction and uh so i think we are seeing a lot of um, interesting market moves and as i've said before the longs you know t- tend to do better than the shorts so hopefully we see some follow through in, in, in this year it gets even better
1: yeah i mean um as we've certainly talked about before um because there was definitely a period with Below average returns, um, you would expect over the long run that this will be followed by a period of above average returns. Maybe 2019 is kind of the beginning of that. Uh, interestingly enough, the return—sorry, oh, not re- the return—the drawdown analysis that we did last year that I referred to in the beginning—we also followed that up um, with uh, you know what happens in the next three years after you recover. What kind of returns do you have? We seen. In that 35-year period and um, and actually that I have to say we're quite encouraging uh, in terms of that so maybe we are just in you know much more of a global macro environment which I know a lot of people believe we are and uh, it certainly looks like it when you look at the uh, potential drivers of market moves around the world right now so um, yeah just uh, hang on to to those trends I would imagine Anything else? Uh, I mean, I guess the other thing I could suggest uh, uh, as we come to a close is that if you want to mark our one-year anniversary for the show, of course, you're also extremely welcome to leave us a rating and review in iTunes because that really helps uh, other people discover the show. So uh, so feel free to do that. Um, anything else, Jerry? Or should we just wrap it up? I think that's, that's a good show. Good stuff. From Jerry and me, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you on next week's edition of The Systematic Investor. In the meantime, have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show.